Thank you, Pastor Ogden and Erica. Bill and Lillian Bath were seated in the back, and I noticed a minute ago that they had to leave. It looked like he was having some sort of medical problem. We have uh, one of our EMT people is out there now. I want us right now just to bound prayer for Bill. Can we do that as a church family? Let's bound prayer and ask God to meet whatever need that was. Father, we come before you. And Lord, we know that you're the God of all strength and comfort. And Lord Jesus, you are the great physician. Father, whatever the trouble is, I pray that, Lord, you would just superintend right now. We ask on behalf of Brother Bath that your hand would rest upon him. Father, I pray that there'll be no serious problem. I pray, Lord, that you would just give him strength even now in this moment as we come together to pray for him. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. Thank you that in a moment's time we can bring our burden before you. And Father, we lift him and Lillian before you as well. Thank you, Lord, for loving us, and we commit him to thy hand, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Take your Bible with me, please, and turn to the book of Acts, chapter 16. Book of Acts, chapter 16, if you will, with me. I've begun kind of a mini-series, not an an endless series, as is my custom, but a mini-series on what I'm entitling The Firsts at Philippi. Last week, we considered the first European convert, Lydia, and we mentioned that that was in fulfillment of a very ancient prophecy in the book of Genesis, where God said Japheth would dwell in the tents of Shem. But something else happened, of course, right after the good news of Lydia, right after the door for the gospel began to swing open in Europe. Something else happened that is a little bit jarring, I think to some modern Christians. Now, let me say something from the outset for those of you who are visiting. This is a church that believes the Bible, and this is a church that takes the Bible literally. We do not soften it, we do not water it down, we do not try to dismiss things that are uncomfortable to the modern hearing, and we will not do that in this passage. And so while Paul was privileged to lead the very first European convert in Europe to Christ, that was Lydia. Right after that happened, I want you to look at verse number 16 of Acts chapter 16. Because the Bible says after Lydia got saved, after her family came to Christ, after they were baptized, the Bible says it came to pass as we went to prayer. A certain damsel, now this girl was a servant girl, likely a slave, A certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination. I want you to pause there for a moment. When the Bible uses the word, words possessed with a spirit, that is literal. We are not talking about mental illness. We are not talking about split personality disorder. We are not talking about anything that is psychologically diagnosable. When the Bible says that someone was possessed of a spirit, in the Gospels, sometimes the words unclean spirit are used. When the Bible says that, we are talking about a satanically controlled entity. Many of us generically would use the word demon, and that is a fine word to use. Now, wait a minute, Pastor Monty, do you believe in the devil and demons? Yes, I believe they exist because the Bible says so. In fact, to be very frank with you, part of the problem in America is that the church has put on rose-colored glasses pretending that the ills of our nation do not have at their very foundation a spiritual cause. Sometimes people ask me this question. They'll say, Pastor Monty, are you a conspiracy theorist? The answer is yes. Period. Well, I I can't believe the pastor would say that. Yes, because I believe 
that there is a global conspiracy of Satan against God in this world. I'm not worried about naming human beings that, that are part of that global conspiracy, like George Soros, for example. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not worried about naming names, okay? But I am going to make a statement that the ills of our nation and the ills of this world are by and large satanic influence and domination. Domination which Satan does not have naturally, but but which has been given over to him by the act of idolatry among the peoples of the world. And so the Bible says it came to pass as we went to prayer. They're going down to the riverside where they first met Lydia. A certain damsel possessed with the spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying, or by, by telling the future, by making predictions, some of which came to pass. The same, this woman, followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. Wait a minute, Pastor Monty. The Bible says she was possessed of a demon, but she is saying something that on the surface seems true. These are the servants of the Most High God. They do show the way of salvation. Why in the world is this problematic? We're going to get into that in a moment, because I think you will see as we pull aside the veil some of the great subtleties of Satan. And verse number 18, the Bible says, This she did many days, following Paul and screaming. This she did many days, but Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the Spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he, the Spirit, the Spirit of divination, came out of her that same hour. What do you believe about the devil? Do you believe he's real? The Bible represents the devil not as a, an impersonal force of evil or a principle of evil, but as a person. The Bible teaches that Satan is a fallen angel, that he is in active opposition right now and has been since the beginning to God, to God's people, and to God's plan. Evil comes and evil stems and evil is propagated by the person of Satan and his minions, the demonic host. We believe that the Bible clearly teaches that Satan uses demonic spirits against us, that Satan has his assets, may I use that kind of quasi-military term? Satan has his assets planted among us, whether it be our neighbor, perhaps a co-worker, Perhaps someone within the four walls of this building. Satan has his assets everywhere. Satan and the other fallen angels desire to to supplant God by getting man to worship them. I want you to focus on something I'm about to say. The great problem is idolatry. When human beings commit the sin of idolatry, They are giving over what is their dominion. Remember why God created us? God created mankind, all human beings. God created mankind to have dominion over this earth. When human beings bow to an idol, and we'll get into what that is. Oh, Pastor Mine, it's just a a dumb stick or a dumb stone or some goofy statue they worship. We'll get into that in just a moment. You're both right and wrong when you make that statement. You haven't gone far enough. When human beings give over their worship, which belongs to Jehovah God alone, 
to something that is lesser. They surrender their dominion of this world to Satan himself and his emissaries. Satan is, the ultim- is ultimately behind everything that is anti-God, everything in our context that is anti-Christian, and everything that is anti-Bible. When Paul crossed the little stretch of land and landed at Neapolis, he was entering the continent of Europe. He was following deeper with the plan of Acts 1-8, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, northern Israel, then the uttermost parts of the earth. He was going further than he ever had into heathen territory and territory that was dominated by satanic spirits and fallen angels. Now, for those of you who think, well, pastor, this sounds like a very supernatural kind of a worldview, you would be correct about that. The problem in the contemporary church is we hardly ever say anything about the dark side, which is very, very real. And there are some people right now, perhaps in the audience, who are reacting to this thing. Pastor Monty, I don't like to hear about this. All of this makes me nervous. To not understand, to not know who our adversary is and his activities in this world is to unwittingly open ourselves to his influence. And so when Paul went to Europe after the first convert had been made, immediately Satan comes with opposition. And Paul had entered deeply into enemy territory, the nation of Greece. Later on in Acts chapter 17, Paul will make it all the way down to Athens. And the Bible says there that his heart was overcome when he saw the idolatry. Those of you who traveled recently to Greece on our trip, the journey of Paul, I think we were all amazed at the level of idolatry that is in that land. Until you've seen that on every corner and in every nook and cranny, there was a statue, an idol, or a temple to some pagan god. You can hardly understand how awash in paganism was the early world and how dangerous was the territory that Paul had entered into because it was territory voluntarily given over to satanic forces and they held dominion in that land. The Bible refers to that land as Greece, and this is where Paul was when he first came into Europe. You say, Pastor Monty, what is Paul's worldview regarding this matter? I want to show you something. This is important to lay a groundwork. Because there are some who say, well, Pastor Monty, don't you understand that Halloween was last week? I don't care about Halloween. What I'm talking to you about is real. What did Paul say about it? There are two things that Paul said regarding the demonic and idolatry. Take your Bible with me, turn quickly to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul was answering a question, is it appropriate for Christian people to eat meat that has been sacrificed to a pagan idol. Is that an appropriate thing to do? I'm not going to get into all of the argumentation this morning, but he gives from chapter 8, 9, and 10 a very, very long argument as to what conclusion a Christian should reach regarding that matter. But one of the first things he deals with is the concept of idolatry. Understanding that he's writing to the church at Corinth, another very pagan city that was given over to idolatry, Paul is addressing this issue within the church, and look what he says in chapter 8, verse 4, 1 Corinthians. He says this, chapter 8, verse 4, 
As concerning, therefore, the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice unto idols. So that's the topic here. We know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is none other God but one. Can okay, I listen carefully? An idol, a statue, a carving, a painting. Paul says we know that inherently that statue and carving and painting, whatever it may be, in its physical sense is not God, is not a God. By the way, the heathen knew that as well. Pastor Monty, why would they worship them? They were worshiping those images because of the demonic spirits they had invited to inhabit those images. They were not fundamentally worshiping the silver, the gold, the bronze, the wood, whatever it may have been constructed of. They were not worshiping that. They were smart enough to know that they had fashioned that with their own hands. But after fashioning an idol, for example, the idol to Artemis that was in the Parthenon in Athens, after fashioning that idol, they would have a ceremony where they would invite the presence of a demonic spirit to fill the place in the idol. Oh, Pastor Monty, come on, this is all mythology. Well, Paul said the wood, the stone, the precious metal, whatever it was made of, he said that's nothing. But take your Bible now, turn over a couple pages to chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, look with me, if you will, at verse, at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, let's begin at verse number 19, 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 19. Paul says, summarizing his argument, by the way, the three chapter long argument, he says, what say I then, that the idol is anything or that that which is offered in, in sacrifice to idols is anything? No, the physical idol is nothing, it's a piece of wood, it's a piece of stone, it's a piece of precious metals, whatever it may be. But, look at verse number 20. To understand the supernatural worldview of the Apostle Paul, look at verse number 20. But I say that the things with which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. There's nothing in the wood itself, but there is something about the dedication of an idol to a heathen deity that is realistic. Because the heathen deity behind the idol or the image is actually a devil or a demon. And Paul warns the church at Corinth, he says, I would not that ye should have fellowship with devils. It is not just the physical artwork that is the problem, but it is the dedication and the infusion of demonic spirits into this artwork that is the problem. And Paul took that view that all of these things are real. And if this sounds odd to you, perhaps it's because the average church never mentions this. It is troubling to people to understand that behind the movements of this world, behind the personalities of this world, there lurks a darker force that is insidious and is hell-bent upon damaging the church damaging the gospel, and limiting the influence of Christ. And this is precisely what Paul came across when he went to Philippi, this young lady, this demoniac. I want you to consider this for a moment. I believe this, and especially in the day and time in which we're living, that Christians must be vigilant concerning satanic operatives who are working against us. I'm not talking about people. 
Satan, pardon me, Christians must be vigilant concerning satanic operatives working among us. Now I want to notice three things very quickly, very quickly this morning. Number one, demonic influence is real. Look again at Acts chapter 16, verse number 16. The Bible says that this damsel, this young lady, this slave girl, was possessed with a spirit of divination. It does not seek to prove that. It does not seek to explain that. It is simply stated as a statement that anyone who believes the Bible would understand to be true. In fact, the supernatural, both the good side, the good angels, and by the way, isn't it funny how people, Pastor Monty, do you believe in guardian angels? That they're angels and they're guardians? Of course I believe that. I fully believe that. The same people who want me to affirm the idea of a guardian angel get a little little gun-shy when I say there's also a dark side. There's also a demonic side. They, they get a little concerned about that, but both are true in Scripture. Supernatural view of worldview is assumed throughout the Bible. In chapter 16 of the book of Acts, we have a small case study of a possessed slave girl. But you know what? The Bible is interestingly specific. Because the Bible says this spirit that possessed her was a spirit of divination. Now, if you were to go to the Greek New Testament... The word divination is the Greek word from which we get our word python. Python? Yes, python. You mean, Pastor Monty, one of those big snakes that got loose in Florida? (laughs) Yeah, the ones that scare you in Florida. They got loose. Yeah, python. You mean, wait, wait a minute, that's the Greek word? Yes, that's the Greek word behind the word divination. Why in the world would this slave girl have a spirit of python? What in the world is that all about? And why does our Bible translate a divination? Here's the reason why. Because in that culture, the Greek world was wholly given over to idolatry. Not too far from Philippi. In fact, when we were on our way traveling in our beautiful luxury tour bus toward Philippi, I remember our tour guide pointed out, she said, if you look at the great distance across this valley and across the fields, (coughs) you'll see a mountain. She said, in that mountain is the Oracle of Delphi, or some pronounce it Delphi. The Oracle of Delphi. Pastor Monty, what in the world is that? That is actually a very ancient heathen site. Some will date it back to as far as 1400 BC. Well, what does that have to do with this divination? Delphi, the Oracle of Delphi, had been regarded for 1,500 years by the time of the Apostle Paul as a place where the quote-unquote gods, small g, communicated through a woman who was a priestess known as a Pythias from the same word python. So why is this so important? Because world leaders for a long period of time would make a journey to Delphi to listen to the predictions of this woman because they put stock in what she had to say concerning the future. Well, come on, Pastor Monty, this is all just Greek mythology. Oh, is it really? The Bible uses the term python to describe this woman's spirit because the oracle at Delphi was defended by a python-like creature in their mythology. When we went to Greece, there were a few people who wondered why are we visiting some of these sites that aren't necessarily biblical. Can I tell you something? Your Bible references this culture because it has a powerful 
influence in the day and time in which the word of God was written. And so this woman had a spirit of python or of divination. Divination meaning the idea that I can tell the future. That was a direct reference to the Oracle of Delphi that was founded. By the way, who founded that according to their legend? A lady named Gi or Gaia. Well, who in the world is that? Mother Earth. Now look at me. Look at me. Look at me. This is going to get deep. Mother Earth. That little location in Greece on top of that mountain was regarded by the Greeks as the navel of the world. Mother Earth, they said, had founded this place of heathen worship. Mother Earth needed to be reverenced. Mother Earth needed to be served. Mother Earth was more important than humanity. Is anyone connecting with this? Don't you tell me, well, Pastor Monty, we're so sophisticated, we're beyond all of that Greek mythological paganism. <laughs> Baloney. In fact, in America, we are up to our necks in it. Because all people want to do is worship the ground and disregard human life. In this world today, well, Pastor, unless we reduce the population dramatically, the world cannot be sustained. May I make a statement? Human life is sacred. This hyper-environmentalism, I don't think you should throw trash on the ground. Don't be trashy. Okay, you're all a bunch of white trash anyway. Don't be trashy. <laughs> be trashy. But hyper-environmentalism that worships the ground as Mother Earth, or now they call it the Earth Mother, Hyper-environmentalism is nothing but old-time paganism repackaged in a pseudo-scientific garb. See, what's old is new again, and it keeps coming back, doesn't it? This woman, the slave girl, was possessed by this python spirit. The girl was specifically possessed with the python spirit, allowing her to have remarkable insights and to make predictions. You say, well, Pastor Monty, was this real? It was very real, because the Bible says that it was. Now, demonic, I said demon possession is real, or demonic influence. Also, demonic opposition is real, because look at verse number 17. The same woman, young lady, followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. This demon was telling a limited truth. Oh, well, now, wait a minute, Pastor. I, 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 think, I think that she was just testifying about Paul. Well, what was wrong with that? May I make a statement? There are some endorsements that I don't want. Jesus said, beware when all men speak well of you. It's dangerous when you're everyone's buddy. If you don't have some enemies by virtue of the things that you stand for, then you are not standing for much. This girl who followed for several days the Apostle Paul, we don't know how many, but several days for sure, she had become a distraction. She was louder than the Apostle Paul, and she was a serious interruption to his soul-winning ministry. She sought to take the attention off Paul and to place it upon her, and there are some Bible scholars who think that she may have been mocking Whatever in the world it was, she had become a distraction. By the way, by the way, anything that distracts from the gospel of Christ and the preaching of the word of God is satanic. I hope you heard what I said. We, have, we don't have too many rules around here, but we have, we have some rules about 
people dressing like Americans. Okay, well, why? Because if someone comes in here with a burqa expecting a sandstorm, which isn't going to hit anytime soon, if someone comes in here dressed like that, they are a distraction. And by virtue of their dress, they are trying to preach a competing message to mine, and I won't stand it for five seconds. Boom. There it is. You don't wear clothing, styles, fashions, logos, that mitigate or militate against what the message of Scripture is. She was a distraction. I think she sought affirmation as a platform for deception. Pastor Money, what's wrong with what she was saying? We'll get into that in a moment. But she was simply pointing out these are servants of God that come to teach us the way of salvation. You know, had Paul affirmed this, he would have affirmed the deception of Satan working in her heart. He could not place upon her any imprimatur. Since not every endorsement is good and approval leads, agreement leads to tacit approval, approval would ultimately legitimatize the demon that was speaking through her. Some people are so quick to want to agree with everything. I've had people tell me this in the past. Pastor Monty, don't you know that um, Christians and Muslims worship the same God? No way, Jose. That's in the original Greek, by the way. No way, Jose. We worship Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God and God the Son. Muslims do not worship Jehovah, they worship Allah. Allah is an ancient pagan moon god that actually had two other counterparts that they eliminated later. Pastor Monty, come on. The, The Quran talks about Jesus. Look at me. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. It talks about a character named Isa, who has nothing to do with the biblical Jesus. You say, why? Because the character Isa in the Quran was not crucified and did not rise again. One of the major sins you commit if you're a Muslim is to say that God had a son and that the Son of God was crucified. Those are considered two of the most significant sins in Islam. When you try for the sake of agreement to amalgamate the truth of the Bible with abject error. Whenever you do that, you not only water down the message of Scripture, but you obfuscate it, pardon me, obfuscate it to the point where it is no longer recognizable and no longer powerful. Paul would not make an approval of what this woman had to say. I think also it was a subtle challenge to Paul. It was a clever tactic. How was it a clever tactic? Every day she'd yell, these men are the servants of the Most High God that show us the way of salvation. She was interrupting what Paul was doing, but she was challenging Paul. You see, later on, Paul cast the demon out after putting up with it for a long time. Why did Paul put up with that so long? I mean, I promise you, I wouldn't put up with that so long. I mean, I wouldn't give it, but but why did he? Because Paul understood that when he cast that demon out, he was going to harm the economic prosperity of the family who owned the girl, and he understood that he would clash with the civil authorities. And that is precisely what happened in the rest of chapter 16. And he understood that by addressing this issue, he would come into direct conflict with European, Grecian civil authorities, and that that would truncate or limit his teaching in Philippi. And he wanted his ministry extended as far as it could, so he did his best to ignore her. It was Satan issuing to Paul a subtle challenge. It was a clever tactic. But you say, but pastor, if you look at verse 17, this spirit of divination, this python spirit, 
declared that Paul and his company were the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. What could be wrong with that? Look at me, everyone. Please concentrate on what I'm about to say. What she said was true, and what she said was not true, depending on the perspective of the hearer. If you were in Israel, the Holy Land, God's special land, if you were there and you were a Jew, and you heard reference to the Most High God, the generic, most generic form for God, Elion, in the Old Testament, if you heard that, you automatically associated that reference with Jehovah God. Why? Because you're Jewish. You're in the Holy Land. You know the Old Testament. But very clever how Satan spoke through this young slave girl. She did not identify Jesus Christ. She didn't use the word Yahweh or Jehovah. No, 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 none of that. But she said, these are the servants of the Most High God. Where was Paul? He was in Europe. He was in Greece. He was in Satan's seat in that era for abject paganism and heathenism. And when someone spoke of the Most High God, Gentile Grecians immediately thought, not of Jehovah, not of Jesus, but they thought of Zeus, king of the gods. Isn't this interesting? Don't you see, do you see how that message proclaimed among Europeans would rather than turn people to Jehovah and Jesus, would turn them to Zeus, who is king of the gods, when we were in, in Greece. I saw a t-shirt with a depiction of Zeus on I didn't buy this thing, because I thought it would be blasphemy to buy it. But I saw a picture of, with a depiction of Zeus, and across the top of it, and plus they don't have my size anyway, those people are small. <laughs> it's so discouraging to be the jolly green giant. You can't, but you, you can't find stuff. But it's had a depiction of Zeus on it, and it said, King of the Gods, okay? So you understand that this was a very clever satanic attack on the Apostle Paul designed to cause confusion. But not only is satanic influence real and satanic opposition is real, demonic exorcism is real, just for one moment and I'm done. This she did, the servant girl, crying after Paul and his company. This she did many days, but Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he, that spirit of divination, came out of her that same hour. Mental illness was not the issue here. It was direct demonic possession. You see, Paul viewed the world as a battlefield and in spiritual conflict. I think we better start thinking about it that way too, Christian. I really do. We're in a war zone. Oh, but, but Pastor Monty, we're not, we're not in Israel or Gaza. No, no. Well, we're not in the Ukraine. No. We're in a war zone. It is a war zone that is a genuine and real spiritual battle. Paul said in the book of Ephesians 6, verse 2, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. My argument is not with a human being. My opposition does not fundamentally come from a human being. When God opposes, pardon me, when Satan opposes the gospel, when people come against the church, when people attack the purpose of God, behind that is lurking the father of lies, Satan himself. 
and all of his emissaries. And you better believe we are in the middle of a war zone right now. Christian folks need to wake up about that. Paul understood that Satan has his assets at work even within the church. I won't turn there, but 2 Corinthians 2 verse 11 Paul says it's possible that Satan could get the advantage of us. By the way, in context there, Satan could get the advantage of us if we fail to have a forgiving spirit to those who've done us wrong. That's the context. That's the context. Satan has an influence, even potentially within the church. It's very clear. Spiritual conflict, I believe, has global implications. It's all about territory and dominion. What about the Israel-Hamas war? When Hamas ruthlessly murdered the Jewish people a few weeks ago, they were making a blood sacrifice to Allah. I want you to understand that. Oh, Pastor Mine, it's just because they're oppressed and they don't have any money and, and the water's not very tasty. No, no. When Hamas does that and attacks the Jews... It is a blood sacrifice to Allah. And by the way, this is just me personally. Well, this is me personally and biblically. Israel needs to let them have it. Be done with it. Be done with it. But I honestly see, I honestly see behind this a great spiritual battle lurking. And what does Satan try to do? I want you quickly, and I'll finish with this. Mark chapter 4, please, in your Bible. Satan's biggest area of success, I think, today is not necessarily the geopolitical realm, though he certainly has gained grounds in the hearts and minds of many through his deception. But Satan's often, probably most frequent tactic is to steal the word of God from the hearts of someone who hears. Mark chapter 4 Verse number one, the Bible says, And he, Jesus, began to teach by the seaside. There was gathered to him a great multitude, so he entered into a ship, sat by the sea, and the whole multitude was by the sea on the land. And he taught them many things by parables. He said unto them in his doctrine, Hearken, behold, there went out a sower to sow. And it came to pass that he sowed some. Some fell by the wayside, and the fowls of the air devoured it. Some fell on stony ground, where it had not much earth. Immediately sprang up, but because it had no depth of earth, it, when the sun was up, it was scorched. And because it had no root, it withered away. Some fell among thorns. The thorns grew up and choked it and yielded no fruit. And other fell on good ground and did yield fruit. Pastor, what is the interpretation? Drop down to verse 14. The Bible says this, The sower soweth the word. The word of God, the preached, the written word of God. And these are they which by the wayside, when the word is sown, when they have heard, notice the next word, Jesus said this, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. Look this way. One of the main things the devil wants to do is divorce you from that book. One of the main things the devil wants to do is silence the voice of that book. One of the main things the devil wants to do is distract you during preaching. One of the main things the devil wants to do is to keep you from the Bible, the Word of God. And if you're here this morning and you do not know Christ as your personal Savior, uh, this has been heavy for you. This is a heavy message for you. I'm not sorry for it. It's what the Bible says. But this is a heavy message for you. May I tell you this? There is a Savior, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for your sins, was buried and rose again the third day, and he will receive you as one of his children if you will but believe upon him. 
And now that I've given you a very shortened message of the gospel, there's a very real devil who will take the last five sentences of my sermon and try to steal that from your heart. Don't you dare let it happen. Folks, we have a real enemy. We have a real enemy. But we have God. And I will tell you, never fear. Because the God of heaven is in control. Be aware that enemy's out there. He wants to hurt your marriage. He wants to hurt your kids. He wants to hurt your testimony. Be aware that he's out there. But understand something. He that is in us, those of us who are Christians, is greater than he that is in this world. Be aware of him. And don't fall prey to the wiles of the devil. Father, thank you for a story in the book of Acts that is given to us without deep explanation because the reality of these things is an assumption of both the Old and the New Testament. Father, for any who have come this way and they're not Christians, Lord, they maybe have never heard anything like this before. It is the reality of the Bible. I pray this very moment they would give their heart to Christ, that they would believe upon him. And Father, that you'll make us alert, those of us who are Christians in the room, make us alert, Lord, to the tactics of Satan, that this is very real, and it is taught throughout the entire Bible. I pray you'll speak to every heart. Help us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Stand with me, please, everyone.